Hi, this is Jason at BWC. Welcome to this podcast of our adult Bible study on Wednesday nights. Let's join Pastor Pat Dale as he shares with the group. Well, it's good to see you all again. Um, It has been a crazy week already. It's only Wednesday. But um, the good news is we're still standing. And uh, the devil hates the fact that you're in the house of God tonight. And you could be doing a hundred other things. So uh, I commend you for sacrificing some of your time to, to look into the Word. Tonight I'm anxious to start something. Uh, whether we get it in in one or two or three weeks, I do not care. I'm going to go slow and methodical. And there's no one sitting in the sound of my voice that can't understand where we're going to go tonight. I want to talk to you tonight about enemies. Enemies, when you think of the word enemies, you conjure up maybe battlefields, you think of armies, you think of maybe the really, really bad people that have done you wrong in your life. But we're going to get a little further into what an enemy is and we're going to discuss them tonight. There's a couple of authors and ministers that I watch and glean from and I just want to give credit because I've borrowed some of their quotes and I'm not going to take time, but... uh, And, you know, I'm not saying these guys are perfect by any means, but I glean good points from them. And uh, so I want to give credit. Some of these things you're going to hear are inspired by the Holy Spirit to me. Some of them I pulled from books. And uh, but Ron Carpenter, Mike Murdoch and Beth Moore are some good inspirational uh, speakers, teachers and writers. And uh, I've borrowed a few of their thoughts, but I really believe the Holy Spirit has birthed this in me uh, through experience. And there are things that we go through that are priceless. Things that cost you dearly. Things that hurt you badly. Things that you don't look back on and have a smile. But one of the things pastor says in this house is never waste a hurt. Never waste an experience. I believe that God wants us to have a victorious life. I believe God wants us blessed and prospered. And I believe He wants us to have victory. The problem is He has to deal with us where we are. The problem is we live in a fallen world. The problem is there's a lot of variables between us and our faith. The problem is God wants to do a lot of things, but there are a lot of things... Namely us standing in the way in situations that hinder instant manifestations. I wish that we could name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. I can't get there. I've tried it. I've gone to bed praying, waking up, thinking it might happen, but it didn't happen. There's things that I want and desire and plead and beseech God, to use an old school word. I begged and pleaded God, and, and yet He left me. Where I was. There's going to be times when you pray and God is going to deliver you from your circumstance, and there's going to be times when you pray and He'll deliver you through your circumstance. I wanted to talk about the stuff that we've walked through 
in connection with enemies. There are enemies in your life. For a moment, I want you to forget about everything bad going in, going on in your life. I want you to, just for a moment, just let it go. I know you've walked in here and, and you've been at work all day possibly, or you, some of you may be getting ready to go, and, and maybe you've had drama. Maybe there's things that are pressing you on every side, but I want you to leave all that for a moment. I want you to not let that define you for a moment, and I want you to be here. If you could just plug in for the next few minutes, I believe God has some things to share with us. I want to ask you, what is the purpose of you being on this planet right now? Yes, you may be a parent, that's great. Yes, you may be a worker, that's great. Yes, you may be a spouse, that's great. And all those things are noble and admirable and important and we have to fulfill those roles. But that's not the purpose that you are on this earth right now. What's the purpose that you're here? Unfortunately, many of us don't really know. We're just kind of taking up space. It's very important that if you begin to talk about battles and enemies, we can't even discuss them until we really discuss purpose. I'm going to say a very harsh statement and I'm going to let it sink in. Anyone or anything that gets in the way of your God-called purpose is your enemy. Anyone or anything that gets in the way of your God-called purpose is your enemy. Just let it sit for a second. Now you guys know my heart. You know that I hate people that are so spiritually minded that there's a devil behind every rock. You guys know that that's out of balance in my opinion. I think that there's people that go off the deep end with their spiritual mindsets. I believe much of what we face in our life is because we live in a fallen world. So we have to bring some balance to our spiritual concept and our fallen world reality. But anything or anyone that stands in the way of your purpose is your enemy. We don't like the word enemy because it's off-putting. It's like, oh, that's not very godly. That's Wait, enemy? We're supposed to love everybody. Do you know there's people that don't love you? There's things in your life that don't love you. They don't care. It doesn't care about your welfare. It doesn't care about your walk with God. There are things in your life to hinder you. There are things in your life to mess you up from going to where you need to go. And those things in your life are your enemy. Now, before you get to becoming haters, let me remind you of Ephesians 6.12 that says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the world rulers, against darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So when I say anyone that stands in the way of you getting your purpose done on this planet, I don't want you to think of faces. Because there's people that will hinder you, but you've got to become aware that they are being used by the enemy to stop you from making progress. Now what we like to do is make it personal and say this goofball is in the way. 
And indeed, if you have to put a face on it, it's so and so. But understand that there are other powers that people are nothing more than puppets to. You've been one. I've probably been one. I've, I've walked into a place with a, with a mindset that's not godly. And I've come in and I've spouted off things that weren't real godly. And little did I know that I could have changed the atmosphere of that room. And just for a moment, even though I'm a Christian, I was being used to sap out any peace and any joy that was in that room. I found myself getting over in carnality and flesh, and, and before I know it, man, I, what, what did I just do? I know you've all had those moments where you've been used, and you weren't really aware of it, you didn't really put it together till you stepped back. So there are people that are being used in your life, but you've got to understand that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I think that that's an understanding. But I want to look at a couple of disciples. Can we do that? If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We've touched on a couple of these, so act surprised if you've read it. John chapter 13 and verse 26. We're going to go, kind of go slow because I hope to get into some deep waters with you. And I'm going to build a foundation, so just hang. Uh, there's coffee out there if you need a caffeine shot. Hey man, you can do an hour. Stay with me. John chapter 13 and go to verse 26. Jesus is having dinner with his disciples and we'll pick it up at verse 26. And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I have, I shall give a piece of bread that I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. Verse 27, And now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do it quickly. What you do, do it quickly. Jesus is talking to one of his hand-picked twelve disciples here. Judas, we know what Judas... Judas at this point has been contemplating. He's been kicking around the idea. He had the inside track to the Savior. He had been, he had been uh, chewing on this thought that I could turn on him. I, I could turn him in. And you know what? I could, I could, I'm sure I could get something out of this. I, I, I know that the high priest won him. I know the religious crowds wants him. So... Jesus makes this announcement. There's going to be some of you that are going to have be offended by me. And of course, no way, no way, no way. And Jesus said, I'm going to take this little piece of bread. I'm going to dip it in whoever I hand it to. You're going to betray me. And he handed it to Judas. Apparently, Judas ate it. And the Bible says that Satan entered him. Jesus turns to him and says, Whatever you got to do, do it quickly. <laughs> I don't know if you're really familiar with that passage or not, because your first thought may be, why didn't Jesus stop him from carrying out what's considered the world's biggest betrayal? In fact, if someone is a turncoat nowadays, if someone turns their back on you, if someone stabs you in the back, we refer to them as Judas. Today, thousands of Years removed, we're still saying, oh, he really Judased him. Or she Judased him. She 
stabbed them in the back. Someone that was close. Someone with inside information. Someone that was intimate. Someone in the inner circle back betrayed Jesus. Why didn't Jesus stop it? And this is what I want to bring it down to. The reason Jesus did not stop Judas from betraying him, for selling him out for 30 pieces of silver, is because it helped accomplish his purpose. That's twisted, Pastor Pat. How can you say when, when you are betrayed that Jesus is, that's part of doing his purpose? Jesus always said, I've come to do the will of the Father. I'm not here to, to do my own thing. I, I, I've left the portals of glory to do the will of the Father. I've, I've, I've laid down my deity. I'm the Son of Man. I've got a job to do. All the way through, we knew what His job was. It was prophesied by Old Testament prophets. Jesus didn't come to be comfortable. I don't know why we think we are, but that's another point. Jesus didn't come. He came to do the work of the Father. He had a purpose. Judas, in a weird way, helped him get that done. That's why Jesus didn't stop him. Alright? Flip over to Matthew chapter 16. I want to look at... I want to look at the second disciple. I know you guys know this because we spoke of it just a few weeks ago. Do you remember when... Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say you're uh, this guy, some say you're this prophet, some say you're this prophet. And Jesus squares up the disciples, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. And Jesus says, a boy, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father told you this. And I have to imagine that Jesus kind of marveled. The the Bible doesn't say He didn't, but there was two other times when He marveled at people. And I have to think that even though it's not expressed in the Word of God, that Jesus was maybe taken back that, wait a minute, God revealed something to you just like He does to me. And in the middle of that, boy, we go down to verse 22, and we talked about this quick transition from saying... This revelation, once you realize I'm the Christ, I'm, I'm the rock, and upon this revelation, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then we come to verse 22. And Peter took him aside after Jesus had done told him and said, Listen, guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. We're getting close. This is the day. I've been, I, I want you to know that I've got to go die. Verse 22, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Verse 23, And he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Now Peter just had this revelation from God the Father, and now, this is the second time where two disciples had demon issues. Do you see this? Judas had a demon enter him. (laughs) Peter had the mind of the enemy. He was oppressed right here. And Jesus speaks to the demon, "Get, get, get behind me. Now why did he let Judas off the hook? Go do what you got to do. Go do it quickly. But he comes to Peter and says, get behind me. Judas helped him accomplish his goal. Peter was trying to stop his purpose. 
Peter's like, you're not going to die. I'm going to grab the sword and I'm going to take off somebody's head if I have to. You're not going to die on my watch. And Jesus corrects him and says, you're not mindful of the things of God. See, Peter, as much as I love your loyalty, you've forgotten my purpose. The only reason Jesus came was for a purpose. Yes, He taught us so much things. Yes, He, he modeled greatness in front of us. He done all kinds of great things that, that we're still learning. We're still learning because the Word of God is never exhausted. It's great what He's done and the examples He gives us, but He came to do the work of His Father. So if, if the purpose of Jesus is that important... That, that he's allowing the enemy to direct Judas. And if he's stopping the enemy from, from stopping his purpose in Peter, it's important that you know your purpose. Never one time did Jesus doubt his purpose. He realized the weight, the cost. There's several times where Jesus felt the pain, man. I found another place just this week in studying where Jesus was just overwhelmed in pain. Of course we know in the Garden of Gethsemane. I ran into it again where he's feeling. You know that we have a high priest that's moved with the feelings of our infirmities. He's, he's felt your pain. He knows what it's like to have people come against you. He knows what it's like for people to speak about you. Completely false though it may be. He knows what it's like for people to cheer against you. And, and, and he knows what it's like for people to say, let this one go free and crucify this one. He knows what injustice means. He, he's been there, but He didn't let any of it stop Him from fulfilling His purpose. Just as Jesus was, you have to become adamant about your purpose. And the problem is, I believe, many people don't even know why they're here taking up space. We're here to go clock in. We're here to pay the bills. We're here to raise the kids. We're here to try to stay married. That's not why you're here. Do you know that God knew you before you knew the light of day? (laughs) And I know I probably bring that up, but I just keep tripping on the fact that God knew me before my mother did. God knew me before I ever fluttered in her womb. God knew me. Not only did He know me, He gave me my mission before He housed me. He gave me a mission before He wrapped me in flesh. That's how important your mission and your purpose is. And sadly, there's going to be people in your life in which you have to set boundaries if they stop you from your purpose. There's going to be people in your life that's going to come into your life and their job is to take you away from your purpose. Those people that seem to create an atmosphere that easily besets you. Those people of a bad influence, those people that don't have a like-mindedness like God. They don't think like God. They don't even try to be like God. And, and you think you're strong. You think you're good. You think, man, I've been to five church services in a row. I'm strong. But there's going to be people in your life in their very purpose. They don't know it. They don't plan. I'm not trying to make them out to be evil people. But they're being used by the enemy to knock you off of your course. Have you ever had anybody that contributed to messing you up? Now, we hate to admit that because that means, hey, I wasn't perfect. I had a lapse of judgment. But in reality, 
Now, we know this about our teenagers, but there are adults that do the same thing. I don't know who you take a break with at work, but they influence you. I don't know who you'll run around and go out to eat on weekends with, but they influence you. I don't know who's teaching you sit under, but they influence you. And there's going to be people in your life that you're going to have to set boundaries because whether they know it, whether they intend it, whether they plan it or not, they're stopping you from fulfilling your purpose. And that's a tough conversation. And you begin to think of excuses. Well, I don't want to hurt them, so I'm just going to be distant. I want to pull back. You've got to get adamant. There is no price worth your purpose. Because, guys, the reality is you're going to stand before God. You're going to stand before Jesus. Heaven's your home, but you're going to stand before Jesus and He's going to say, What did you do with the talents, the gifts, and the mission I gave you? Oh, I got busy. And your rewards are going to be determined on your lifestyle. Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's mercy. But your rewards are determined by your lifestyle. You're going to give an account for your purpose. I know that's a little... Maybe that comes across a little hard, but I don't apologize because why are you here and you have friends in the ground? Why are you here when other people are taken out in car accidents, die seemingly prematurely? Why are you here? I can tell you why you're here. If you woke up this morning, you're not done with your purpose. You're not done with your mission. Now, that's just the groundwork. We're getting to our enemies. Because your enemies is anything or anyone that stops you from fulfilling your God-given purpose. Now, listen. I'm just going to drop some one-liners and sprinkle them out as we go. And if these don't help you, I can't help you a whole lot probably because these have blown me up. You cannot expect to be an exceptional person and fight common battles. Don't expect to be an exceptional person. I don't know what your picture of your greatness is in your mind. I don't know what level you think that you would love to get to in God. I don't know what kind of power and what kind of victory that that is a picture-perfect idea when I get there. Someday I'm going to arrive there. I don't know what your picture is, but I would hope that that's an exceptional picture. You will never develop to that place fighting common battles. To be an exceptional person, you're going to have exceptional battles. And to be honest, that part stinks. Because what I really want is I want power without the pain. I want the strength without the weakness. I I want to be able to talk about experiences without ever having gone through them. I want to empathize from a distance. But God says, no, there's going to be things you're going to walk through because I can't get them to you any other way. I've tried, I've put it in the Word, but you not got it. I, I, you've watched your friends go through it, but you didn't get it. And there's things you're going to walk through that stinks and it's ugly and it smells and you hate it every second. But it's on way to your purpose. This is the thing that stinks about these battles. You never appreciate them when you're in them. All you do is question. 
All you do is get mad. All you do is get frustrated. All you do is have a one-on-one with God, and I hope nobody's in the room, because this is how it is, God. This is what I want. This is how you should operate. This is what you should do. I've had a lot of those thoughts with God. I've had a lot of those prayer meetings with God. And there's times when, man, God moves quickly and He pulls me out. And there's times He says, you'll be all right. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I don't think so, dude. I'm about ready to check out right now. Let me tell you this, that an enemy, what's an enemy? Anything or anyone that tries to get in the way of your purpose. If you don't do anything tonight, I want you to go home and I want you to think, why am I breathing? Why am I on this planet? Why was I born the day you were born? And why am I still here? When it seems like some better people than me have gone on. Their chance is over, but God left me here so my mission isn't over. You better find out what your mission is. But an enemy is always an indicator that you're going to another stage. An enemy, if there's an enemy in your life right now, breathing down your neck, if it's breathing threats, if there's things that's keeping you awake at night, if there's things that's making you toss and turn and making you question your faith, it's an indicator that God wants to take you to another level, to another place. God wants to bring you up higher. Because for every time we're going to another place, God will allow an enemy to come into your life. You didn't order it. God didn't order it. But He allows things to happen to us, doesn't He? I'll tell you what an enemy does. An enemy does a great favor to you. It pulls things out of you you never knew you had. Think back of the time when you were just hammered against the wall. And something made you dig deeper than you've ever dug before. Something, I mean, you may have been hanging on by your fingernails, but you found some faith you didn't know was in there. Maybe you found some coping tools you didn't know you had. There was something in there that kept you from completely freaking out. As much as it hurt you, as much as it weighed on you, as much as it cost you, you found something inside you would have never dug for unless you had to. The enemy shows you things. And again, you don't recognize it right in the heat of the battle. All you know is, I want this to stop. Let's flip over to the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know this. I love the fact that I can use passage after passage after passage, and you're like, oh man, he's going to that one again. Well, I'll tell you what, let's teach it till we get it. I tell you what, let's talk about it till we live it. And once we get it, maybe you don't have to refer there anymore. (laughs) But for me, this thing keeps me from going AWOL. I don't know about y'all. Testimonies are cool. Preachers are cool. But it's the Word of God that keeps you. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Go to verse 30. That can't be right. Oh, I'm a second Samuel. That's why. Come on, Patrick. 1 Samuel chapter 17, go to verse 32. You all know David and Goliath, right? Let's read about it. David's an errand boy. Let me set this up for you. His daddy says, hey, Dave, got an idea. Leave the sheep. Come up to the house. 
Let me give you some goods to take to your brothers. They're army guys. They're on the front lines. And I want you to take some supplies to them. And I know you're just a kid. More than likely, he was a young teenager. And I want you to take some stuff up to the enemy lines. So David is dispatched by his daddy to go take some goodies to his big brothers that really know how to fight. And we pick him up at verse 32. Saul is the king. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail him because of him, referring to Goliath. Goliath is breathing threats. He's threatening them. He's saying, Man, are you serious? Are you serious? And the whole army, the Israel army, are scared. They're shaking in their boots. They're hiding in their tents. And here comes this little Dave to to bring up some snacks to his big brothers. Verse 32, David's talking to the king of Saul. He says, Let no man's heart fail him because of him. Your servant, referring to himself, I'll go up and fight with the Philistines. Verse 33, And Saul said to David, You're not going to go up against the Philistine to fight with him. You're a youth. He's a man of war. He's been trained from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion and a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck it and killed it. This is a tough kid. Verse 36, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and you're telling me, paraphrase, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. This shepherd boy David could say, while he's out there watching his daddy's sheep, can you go back to the experience? He said, there was, there was a lion and there was a bear, and they came and they, and they took a sheep. I went back and I retrieved. Oh, wait a minute, what do you think you're doing? And I'm, I'm thinking as he's swinging his fist at these wild animals, he's got to be thinking, this is stupid. What in the world am I fighting? I'm a teenage boy and I'm fighting a bear. I can't imagine what's going through his head when he's... <laughs> he grabs him by the beard. I can imagine. I don't know if he's sucker punching him. I don't know what's happening. But this is a bad man to say, you ain't taking my daddy's little sheep. I can't imagine what's going through his mind. If I'm David, I'm saying, this is so stupid. I don't get paid enough for this drama. What, what is this? I'm going to risk my life for one of these things. I don't, what are they even worth? I guarantee you they ain't as worth as much as me. But I'm dedicated. So I'm going to go and I'm going to free this little one. And I'm going to take you out. And I can imagine... When he's done, he's sweating, he's sitting down on the hillside, there's a dead animal beside him, and his, his energy is just cranked. He has to be thinking, that was stupid. I risked my life. That was so dumb. What's the purpose of this? Why would God let that happen? <laughs> you see, real trouble comes into your life. It doesn't come into your life to challenge what you're doing. Trouble doesn't come into your life to challenge what you're doing. It seems like it does. It comes to test who you are. Trouble doesn't come into your life to challenge what you're doing. It comes to find out who you are. 
this lion and this bear wasn't sent into David's life to challenge him to say, hey man, let's see how good of a shepherd he is. Do you think God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are like, hey, I tell you what, let's see how good of a shepherd this boy is. Yeah, he's writing a lot of good music, but let's just test him out. No, they weren't, they weren't testing him to see how good of a shepherd he was. The test was proving who he was. Not if he's good at what he's doing. Big difference. It's not about what you're doing, it's about who you are. You see, this lion and this bear was preparing him for this moment in time. When he's standing before King Saul, and he's saying, let me tell you something, King Saul. I know I'm a kid, but back at my daddy's farm, I done fought a lion and I killed him. I fought a bear and I killed him. And I'm going to do the same thing to this loudmouth Philistine that's defiling the armies of the living God. If David had not had those experiences, he would be in the tent with his brothers shaken. Something happened when an enemy came. He reached down inside of him and found something he didn't know was there. He found some courage. He found some faith. He found some willingness. I'm sure that he, you know, he's inspired. He's writing all kinds of poetry and songs up on that hill, looking at the night sky, and then he hears a growl. And if he didn't respond to that growl, if he didn't respond to that threat, he would not be prepared for the moment that he's standing in front of King Saul. Maybe right now you're fighting with a bear. Maybe right now a lion is breathing down your neck and you think, this is stupid. I don't see the purpose of this battle. Why is God allowing this enemy, I've prayed against it and he's still growling. Why is God allowing this to happen? I know. I've prayed those prayers. It seems so stupid when you're in the battle. What is getting proved here, God? I tell you what's getting proved to me. Right now, it seems like you don't know how to answer prayers. That's where we go. Let's be real with it. I'll tell you what's happening right now, God. All this drama that's unfolding, all that it's doing is making me doubt you. It's making me doubt my my sacrifice that I make. It's making me wonder, why do I go to church? It's making me wonder, why do I put money in the plate? It's making me wonder, why do I pray? That's what's happening right now, God. And God's standing back and saying, oh, there's a lot more going on than your little psyche can handle right now. And again, that means zero to you when you're swinging your fist trying to kill something. I know it doesn't. You never feel rewarded until the battle's over. You don't get the spoils until you conquer the enemy. And you know, you know, you're not getting rich while you're swinging your fist. You don't feel real energized. In fact, you're tired. And you wake up the next day and the same junk is in your life and you're tired of fighting it. And you keep knocking it down and it keeps getting back up. And you keep knocking it down it's getting back up. And you're like, way to go, God. You're really coming through. I told my friends to watch what happens to me. I told my friends to agree with me. And the way I know it, there's 15 of us that are upset with you right now because they're my agreeing partners. That's just how I felt. Maybe you all got it together. <laughs> Confessions of a staff pastor. I don't know. <laughs> but I want to I talk to you for a, just a moment about an acronym called FEAR. 
fear. I want you to understand the F of the word fear stands for false. Let's look, at, let's, let's look a little further at this story. Flip over to verse 44. Oh, we're still on 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's look at verse 44. And the Philistine said to David, this is Goliath talking, Come to me, and I will give you flesh to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. In other words, he's saying, I will take you down, I will kill you. Bring it on, little man. Have you ever heard that kind of talking in your spirit, in your mind, in your emotions? You heard the enemy saying, I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to take you out. And I'm going to make a spectacle of your failure. This is what big man Goliath is saying to this little man that has the audacity to stand in faith while all these grown men are hiding in their tents. <laughs> I want you to know that those threats are false. They are really said, but they are really false. I want to look at the E of the word fear. And that E stands for evidence. Some of you have heard this. But for those of you who haven't, you need this. False evidence. The reality is, these boys are facing an army that are head and shoulders bigger than them. The fact is, they've got a grand champion standing out there hollering. The fact is, they're afraid. There's evidence to this. All you got to do is look across this valley, and I want you to look how big these bad men are. I, do, do you see it? Because there's, this is not just in my mind. There's, there's evidence. They're, they're there. They're real, and they're threatening. There's evidence. The A of the word fear stands for appearing. Goliath was standing there in a helmet with shin guards, with a shield, with a sword, with a spear. One of the most scary things about fear is when you look at your reality and it looks as if it can dominate you at will. I'm not playing around with this, Pastor Pat. I'm not talking about mind over matter. I've got my eyeballs open. I've got my ears open. And there's an army that's bigger than me. They're stronger than me. They're guarded up. They're ready for battle. And then there's the R of the word fear. And that word stands for real. You know, it's one thing... When someone tells you lies. It's one thing when the evidence is not what it seems. It's one thing when things don't aren't what they appear. But I'm looking at this nine foot man. And, and it's not an image. This is a man. And his desire is to kill me and to feed me to the birds. This is not just fear. This is my real. I see him. 
this thing that's come against me. It's, it's not just threatening. It's not just breathing. I can see it. It's standing in front of me. And then it gets real. You see, when you're facing something, it's different than worrying about something. <laughs> your prayers are different when you face off. And then your prayers are different when you think about There's two levels of prayer. There's two levels of urgency. One thing says, God, this could go real bad. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. But when He's staring you in the face, there's a different level of prayer because then it's real. It's not just false. It's not just evidence. It's not just appearing. Right now it's real. But I want you to know that fear (laughs) is the greatest power the enemy possesses. He's not more intelligent. He's not more powerful. But the most power that he has is fear. I want you to know that fear is one of the most convincing powers in this universe. In fact, it's so powerful times that we are more convinced in our fear than we are in our faith. Have you ever been convinced that you're a goner? Have you ever wrote yourself off and say, this is too big for me, and seemingly it's too big for God? Fear is the biggest power the enemy has. (laughs) I've had to face off with fear. I never really got fear. I never got anxiety. I thought... You know, I guess everyone is made up with different DNA. I'm just not one of the kinds that worries. I feel sorry for y'all. God be with you. I'll pray for you. Go on. Go on and be worried, you worry wart, you silly thing. And then the spirit of fear didn't just pay me a visit. I think he took up rent for a while. And this crazy fear didn't go away when I prayed for it to go away. I I was as scared when I started my prayer as I was when I said amen. Like, wait a minute. God, I told you to take this fear away. But now I'm even more scared because it didn't go away. And it is a gripping, convincing. I don't care how much doctrine you have. I don't care your experiences. I don't care if you've raised someone from the dead. When fear grips your heart, it is a compelling power that that you are so convinced of, it will begin to choke your joy, your peace, your faith. And you will question everything you believe. That's the power of fear. That's what you face off with. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities. Yes, they're goofy people. Yes, they make silly judgment calls. Yes, they don't know they're being used. But what you're facing off with is not just someone that's abrasive. It's not just a personality conflict. What you are up against is someone that is trying to stop you from fulfilling your purpose. Sometimes it's situations, sometimes it's people, sometimes it's circumstance. But it knows you're getting ready to take a step and it ain't having it. 
So he comes to this conclusion, the enemy does, and he says, if I can't stop them, I'm going to scare them. And if I scare them, maybe I'll stop them. I can't tell you the things that I've done because I was afraid. The decisions that I've made because I lost my faith. You see, this is the problem. Fear in the Greek means convincing. Faith in the Greek means convincing. What are you more convinced of? It's so cool to talk about when you're not in it. I I, I know. It's like, well, that's really cool. You got your badge of honor, dude, but here I am. And, And I know when I counsel with people that are in the depths of freak out, I'm going to be real with you and I don't get real sanctimonious. I don't throw a lot of Bible verses at them. Because they're not ready to receive right now. In fact, they're having a faith crisis and a whole bunch of Bible just bounces off of them. The Bible will come. It will stand forever. It is powerful. It will cut between sword and spirit. I by no means am minimizing the Word of God. But when a person is not in receive mode, they will not receive the Word. Because they're constricted in their fear. And all they know is how they feel. When you're telling me to believe something that I just prayed about, and he failed. Let's listen to the voice of the enemy, shall we? Let's go flip back First Samuel 17. Let's look at verse 11. First Samuel 17, verse 11. Flip back one page. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. There is a voice of fear that makes you react. It seems to be second nature. Let me give you an example. When pastor's up here and he's driving a point home and you get it, something clicks on the inside of you and you rise up and you find, finally I get it. The light bulb turned on. I had that heavy revy, that revelation. I had that light bulb moment. I had that aha moment. It's there. What happened was all of a sudden, a way that he put it, a way that he delivered it, something happened on the inside of you and all that it was... As powerful as it is, you know what it was? It was a moment of convincing. And you walk up and you're never the same because I've got it, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. After all these years, after all these battles, I've got this thing. It won't do that to me again. Something clicked. What happened is you just got convinced. It's the same power that fear has. Something clicks on the inside of you and you are convinced of something, even though it's false. You're convinced of something, even though the evidence can't stand. You're convinced of something, even though it looks like it's going to go bad. You're convinced of something because it's so real to you. And you react differently to fear than you do to faith. 
Fear makes you hide from God. Faith pushes you close to God. Isn't it amazing how we hide from the only one that can help us? This is what happens. I know. I've done it. I've experienced and I've counseled many people that when it hits the fan, when the prayers ain't being answered, I'm going into the cave. You know, there's times when you do hide behind your shield of faith and there's times when you run to the cave of fear. Because you will have fiery darts. The Bible says there will be offenses. In this world you'll have tribulation. I hate that part. Well, let's, let's cut that part out and make a new doctrine. What do you say? I, I hate that part. Because I have some preachers tell me that if I, all I have to do is pray and believe and I can get anything I want, but it didn't seem to work. And, and here I am. And fear's got me. I've prayed in the Spirit for people and I've seen literal chains around the mind of people. And we've prayed and I've watched those chains fall off. I've seen all kinds of things because you realize your biggest battle is in your mind. There are spiritual entities that want to mess with your mind because it's in your mind that you're convinced. That's why God wants to renew it. That's why the devil wants to enslave it. They both want to convince you of something. (laughs) Man, that makes it sound so simple. Okay, it's simple on paper. Let's talk about reality. When you're hearing the voice of the enemy. Let me tell you something. This is me. I'm a very reasonable guy. I want to reason everything out. I want to know how it started, how it's going to go, and how it's going to wrap up. That was part of my job back in the day. We have a problem over here, Pat. I can tell you what the problem is. Let me see your system. Let me see your process. And give me a few minutes and I'll figure out right here, there's your problem. Right there's your bottleneck right there. If you fix this area right here, your system will flow. Same thing happens when drama comes in my life. I'm like, well, right here's the problem. That's what i got to pray for. Right there, that stupid thing. All these other things are cool. That's the bottleneck. That's what's stopping it from happening. So I pray for that thing. And if it doesn't happen immediately... There's this question that we all know, what if? What if? What if? Let me tell you this, that reason is a weak defense against fear. Reason will never stand against fear. It makes sense, but it doesn't change the grip of fear. When I was in the throngs of fear, I can tell you, I know more than likely this will never come to reality. I know that on paper. I can assure you, but can somebody assure me? Reason is a terrible defense against fear. Beth Moore had this quote, and I really like it. The fear of trials sometimes deplete more energy than facing the trial. Have you ever found yourself worried sick about something? And then when you get there, good, bad, or ugly, it wasn't near what you thought it was going to be. Or 
what happens when you're hoping against hope and you're thinking it's going to be good and you get smashed in the face? You're going into it worried about it. Your spirit's low. Your faith is low. Your esteem is low. Your emotions are low. And then you get hammered just to put the icing on the cake. What do you do then? I believe in this theory. It's a place that I live. It doesn't sound very glamorous. It doesn't sound like a man of valor. It doesn't sound like a spiritual leader. But I've learned I'm very comfortable in a hiding place. The Bible says that we can hide under the shelter of His wings. The Bible says He's a mighty fortress. He's a rock that's higher than I. There's times when you've got to realize your limits. And let me tell you, it's a pride buster. You thought you could manage it. You thought you could get out of it. You thought you could overturn the question. You thought you could deal with it. You thought you could handle it. But here you are, and you're broken. And you're in a faith crisis. Your faith is fractured. Sometimes it just kills you. Forget about the people that have been bruised and marked up and have strawberries. Forget about that. I am jacked. I don't even know what's going on. I don't know that... I remember there's times I'm turn that stinking preaching off. Because they're selling a bill of hope that I ain't buying right now. They're trying to motivate me and I am not listening. I know what it's like. And it's so easy to turn jaded when you feel helpless. But there's a place where you can hide. And it's okay to say, God, I'm broken. God, I'm messed up. Whether I ask for it or whether I'm a victim of it, it doesn't matter. I'm broken. And God, I'm not going to be a stellar Christian for a few days because I've got the wind knocked out of me. Is it all right if I just hide for a while? And the answer is always yes. Just hide. Just hide. When your babies got hurt, When they had a big fall, all they wanted was for mama to hold them. All they wanted was for daddy to pick them up. And you maybe still had to go to the hospital. Still, maybe you had to put a cast on the arm. Still, maybe you had to get the stitches. But the healing started when you picked them up. And that's where we run to. When the enemies are breathing down our necks, that's where we run. But it sounds so anticlimactic. I'm bruised and I'm broken. All these preachers are telling me, go, go, fight, get on the front line. And I feel like a little cowardly mouse. That's okay. God loves you broken. God loves you whole. God loves you everywhere in between. There's nothing you can do to make Him love you less. There's nothing you can do to make Him love you more. He so stinking loves you that says, you know what? Jump up in my lap. Let's cry together. Let me hold you. I got big shoulders. And by the way, I know just how you feel. I know you think I didn't feel that, but when they put me on that cross, I felt every pain. I felt every hurt. 
not just for one person, but for the hundred million people that have walked through this planet. I felt it all at one time. So I know how you feel, baby. You see, your pastor may not know, your counselor may not know, your friends may not get it, but your God does. And He's saying, you're going to have enemies. You're going to get hurt. But hide. Listen, we'll put together a plan of action in a few days, but right now, just rest. Listen, right now, don't, don't worry. We're, we're, we're going to get you excused absence from work. Don't worry. We're going to, we're going to take a break from school. My, my priority with you right now is to get you better. Don't worry. Just for a moment, take a time out and rest. Hide. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to do that. If you feel like you're afraid to do that, that's fear saying don't do it. When God is saying, come on. Come on back home. Come a little closer. Take a step. The prodigal son, when the father saw him coming from a distance, daddy took off running to meet him. It's a picture of, I don't care if this mess you're in is self-brought on or if you're a victim of circumstance. It doesn't change your brokenness. I'm going to stop there. I think we've got more waters that we can wade through. And uh, we'll see where this goes into next week, alright? Wow, it's six after. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for Your goodness. Thank you for joining us for this Wednesday evening podcast from Bethesda Worship Center. You can find more out about us at BethesdaWorshipCenter.com and by liking us on Facebook.